when I talk to people about unlock moments of remarkable clarity and they, they have such a vivid recollection of where they were, what they were thinking, who they were with. There's something about what you knew then that you didn't know before. So the unlock moment is a moment of knowing something. In that moment, is there something that you knew that you didn't know before? That I have more strength than I thought I had. And that I was able to face that first chemotherapy session. I didn't think leaving that appointment that I would, but I did. And I had six more and went on to have surgery and radiotherapy treatment and treatment after that. And that moment of being in my chemotherapy appointment is what gave me the courage to do what I do now. My name's Dr. Gary Crotez, and I'm a coach, podcaster, and award-winning author of The Idea Mindset, a book about how to figure out what you want and how to get it. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. When I'm in conversation with my coaching clients, these are the breakthroughs that are so profound that they remember vividly where they were, who they were with, what they were thinking when their unlock moment happened. In this podcast, I'll be meeting and learning about people who have accomplished great things or brought about significant change in their life. And you'll be meeting them with me. We'll be finding out what inspired them, how they got through the hard times and what they learned along the way that they can share with you. Thank you for joining me on this podcast to hear all about another Unlock Moment. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to another episode of the Unlock Moment podcast. Today's episode is one that we've had in the planning for months, and I'm delighted that we can bring this powerful story to you today. I heard Oa being interviewed on the BBC earlier this year, and I immediately reached out to invite her onto the podcast. I'm so pleased that she said yes. She is a brilliant storyteller and the epitome of a humble and quietly inspiring leader. It was back in 2014 when Oa Hackett was diagnosed with breast cancer at the young age of just 28 years old. She knew she wasn't alone. Every year, approximately 55,000 women in the UK are diagnosed with breast cancer and over 2 million worldwide. Following her own treatment, she decided she wanted to improve the experience of going through cancer treatment for others. And three years after her own diagnosis, she founded a remarkable charity called Little Lifts. Little Lifts is on a mission to provide free, thoughtfully curated gift boxes to every breast cancer patient in the UK receiving chemotherapy or radiotherapy. Starting in the east of England, already they've gifted well over 13,000 boxes. In recognition of the work of her and her team, this year she was recognised with a prestigious Point of Light Award by the UK Prime Minister, one of only 2,000 such awards in the country. Listeners to this podcast come from over 85 countries around the world, and I'm hoping that someone listening will be inspired by Oa's story and the mission of Little Lifts, and might help open the door to more funding and greater reach. I can't wait for this conversation, and in particular to hear about the unlock moments that I know shaped Oa's journey along the way. Let's dive in. Oa Hackett, it is my great pleasure to welcome you to the Unlock Moment. That's such a lovely welcome. Thank you. 
Good to be here. Thank you so much for accepting my invitation. I'm delighted that you're here. I'm actually recording. It's about 33 degrees outside, so I'm in my little podcast studio and it's absolutely boiling. Though you might be the same because I don't think we're physically very far apart. So, yeah, if I go silent part through this conversation, you know I've expired in the heat. Now, beginnings are important, and you'll know that I often ask this question to begin a conversation on this podcast. Where do we need to start in your journey to understand the person you are today? I think that a good place to start is my name, because it's often a question that people ask me. Where is your name from? So my name is Oa. It's two vowels and two letters, and it's spelled O-A. And I think sometimes people can't quite get their head around it. But my parents back in the 80s when I was born were very adamant about being different and going against social norms. And so I believe it was on a trip to Scotland. There's a place called Isla on the West Hebrides. And there's a place there called the Mull of O, which is spelled O-A. And they visited that place whilst at the same time or around the same time, my dad read a book called The Inheritors, which features tribal people who worship goddesses and they are called Oas. So I arrived and I was their own little Oa. So that's probably a good place to start. And I feel that having an unusual name, definitely at school, into young adult life and now adult life, it's a question that I get asked a lot. It's actually a really great icebreaker and conversation starter. And I love my name. I think it's definitely spurred me on to do something a bit different against the norm, I guess. That's really interesting. And have you been to that little islet in in the Western Hebrides yourself? I have, yes. And I have a photo of me proudly standing next to it. Yeah, we spent 10 days there when I was in my 20s. And yeah, it was really special to go and and see it. Yeah. That's amazing. So you talk about this person who liked being different. What do you remember growing up in terms of how that really manifested itself in you? So growing up was, there was a lot of time spent outside. My parents did separate when I was very young. So that came with quite a lot of emotional trauma to some degree, having parents separate. But we were always outside and we were either running around in the countryside of North Norfolk on the beach, rolling around in the mud and stiff key. But we also, me and my sister, had a real passion for wildlife and animals. And we became very young supporters of Greenpeace at a very young age. Uh, And in fact, my sister got married earlier this year and I had to give a speech. And the Greenpeace story did come up where me and my sister used our summer house to set up a Greenpeace exhibition. And we made whales out of willow and cut out pictures of whales and seals out of magazines, etc. And then invited all of mum's friends to come and visit it. And we actually raised, I think, £100, which was then topped up to £200 by our grandparents. We sent it off to Greenpeace. And then a few weeks later, there we were in the Greenpeace magazine. And it was something that we have, yeah, been proud of since we were just little old Owen and Lil uh, with our friends Beth and Jess, 10 and 11 years old. And I think the 
our mum in particular definitely instilled making a positive impact on the world and the community into me and my sister. She's an incredibly strong woman and she is so selfless that she puts others always first. And so I think we watched a lot of that growing up. And she also has a strong worth ethic as a teacher. So we definitely saw the impact that our mum was having. And I think that's most definitely shaped what me and my sister do today. Really interesting. So often when I ask people this question, there's something from a very early age, and you talk about being, you know, a really young campaigner there, actually, uh, and, and fundraiser. Well, before a time probably when you were thinking about what am I going to do when I, when I grow up, what am I going to do as an adult? But there's something about some people, not everybody necessarily, but some people in their DNA at, at a young age, and you see those kind of patterns coming through. And I, I find that fascinating to, to hear about. So as you were going from sort of school into adult life, what, what did you think you were going to do with your life at that stage? I actually thought that I was going to be a physiotherapist. That's what I wanted to do. But my biology market A-level quickly uh, decided that that wasn't going to be the path for me. And I actually had a real knack for humanities. And I had the most amazing religious studies teacher, philosophy teacher called Miss Jackson. And she inspired me to go off to the University of Kent. And I studied philosophy and cultural studies and just had the best time. And there's something here about being in the presence of inspiring women that, that shaped you, you know, your mother and then your teacher through your life. That, that's been important to you. It has, absolutely. And actually, there is another incredibly inspiring woman in my life called Susanna. So she was our au pair when we were growing up. And she joined us when I was four years old. And she was 19, having left Germany to come and live with us. And she's like a big older sister. And what she's gone and done and things that she did at such a young age is also a big part of support for my sister and I because she just provides us with so much kindness and she's just so non-judgmental and is always there to listen and she just really gets it because she was there when we were younger and she's now had children and we're really close with her children and it's just really lovely to have her as a great guiding mentor. And so bring me into the beginning of where your story in terms of health experience and then founding Little Lifts, where, where did that start? So yeah, if we go back to 2014, early 2014, Greg, who's now my husband and I, had saved up lots over the period of many months, years. And at the start of 2014, we bought our very first flat together. And I was in a job that I loved. I was working for the Prince's Trust at the time. I had a great social life. I loved doing exercise, going to the gym. My husband had recently started his business and everything just felt fantastic. So that was in March of that year. And I remember sitting with Greg one evening when he was cooking. And I remember saying to him, I feel so happy right now. Something bad surely is going to happen. Later, a few months later, we went to St. Ives for my 28th birthday. And that was a cycling holiday because at the time, Greg was really into road cycling and I was sort of into it. So we did lots of cycling together on this trip. And one particular trip, it was, despite being May, British weather, it was awful. It was raining. 
I wasn't wearing the right clothes, got incredibly cold. And the only thing that kept me going through this bike ride was the Cornish pasty and the cup of tea waiting for me at the end. And when we got home, I was freezing. And Greg said to me, just go and hop in the shower, but just slowly warm up. And when I was in the shower, because I was so cold and tense, I could just see this lump sticking out the side of my right breast. And I said to Greg, what, you know, can you see this? He was like, yeah, I can see that. And I didn't do anything about it. So I found this lump and I thought, I'm 28. It's not going to be anything serious. I'm fit. I'm healthy. I'm on a cycling holiday. It's not going to be anything sinister. So I didn't do anything about it for uh, quite a few weeks. And it was my mom and Greg saying to me, get to the doctor, get to the doctor. So I went to the doctor she thankfully took it seriously and I remember her exact words because she said to me, you hear of these horror stories of young women getting breast cancer, but I just to be on the safe side, I'm going to send you up to the hospital to get it checked out. So a couple of weeks later, I skipped out of work on my lunch break. Hey guys, I'll be back. I'll be back shortly. Don't worry. And Greg was filming in France at the time. And I insisted to mum that no one needed to come with me. It would be fine. So I got to this appointment and I had a mammogram. Then I had an ultrasound. Then I had another mammogram. And then people kept coming in and out. And I was like, right, something's going on here. And then my consultant, who I'd previously seen, came back in to see me. And she said, when you come back on Monday, don't come on your own. And so I knew at that point that it wasn't good but they obviously couldn't give me the exact results because they had to send off these biopsies so Wednesday to Monday felt like the longest few days ever and yeah on that Monday morning I went with a whole crew of my family at 9 30 I should have been at my desk checking my emails doing the job that I loved but instead I got told by my amazing consultant that I had breast cancer and yeah the world just shattered around me and watching my sister's face is one of the worst things I've ever had to see because she was just absolutely I mean we were all devastated but my little sister was just yeah it was awful it was really awful and I know from our previous conversation that we had before you recorded on the podcast there's something about the way you told the story of being in that room when you were given that news that I think is so powerful what do you remember of that conversation, who was there, what was happening, what was said? What do you remember? So I've had many, many conversations during my medical appointments and the diagnosis, but a particular appointment that I remember really vividly is my chemotherapy planning meeting. So when I was first diagnosed, that was just utter, yeah, chaos in my brain. I couldn't really comprehend what was going on. And I just knew that I was now going to have scans, blood tests, etc. And they were going to work out my treatment plan. And six weeks after my diagnosis, I began, I had to go to a chemotherapy consent meeting. And that consent meeting, I met my oncologist, who is another amazing woman, and my support nurse. And during that meeting, I had my now husband, Greg, with me. I had my mum and I had my mother-in-law with me. And we all sat there and listened to this endless list of side effects that chemotherapy was going to cause, with the most obvious one being hair loss, fatigue, nausea, etc. And it just felt like an endless list. And during that meeting, 
the emotion that was bubbling up in me was frustration, anger. I was really scared. But even though I was with my family, I felt so alone and completely isolated and alienated from my entire life that I knew. And I remember leaving there thinking, what on earth is about to happen to me? Because this just sounds absolutely brutal. The form that I've just signed, this sounds mega intense. It's amazing. And people that have listened to podcasts for a while will have heard me talk about this idea of alone with others, that sense of you're surrounded by people who love you and care for you and support you and all of those things. And yet in the middle of that, you are also alone, which in one moment can feel isolated alone, but at some point can also be incredibly empowering because it's the moment when you take control. Now, what I've never told people listening to this podcast is that where that started was the first conversation we had and you talking about that meeting and it just clicked in my mind and I went, now I understand what that is. And it's such a powerful image. When I talk to people about unlock moments of remarkable clarity and they, they have such a vivid recollection of where they were, what they were thinking, who they were with, there's something about what you knew then that you didn't know before. So the unlock moment is a moment of knowing something. In that moment, is there something that you knew that you didn't know before? That I have more strength than I thought I had. And that I was able to face that first chemotherapy session. I didn't think leaving that appointment that I would, but I did. And I had six more and went on to have surgery and radiotherapy treatment and treatment after that. And that moment of being in my chemotherapy appointment is what gave me the courage to do what I do now. It's really powerful. I don't have direct experience of cancer in my own life, but I used to work in a cancer hospital as a hospital porter many years ago. And people that I know who've gone through this kind of experience or other non-cancer but, but very serious health conditions, each one of them I find very inspiring. And at the same time, nobody's unique in that. Nobody's special for that because lots of other people are going through the mm -hmm. same kinds of things. But for people who haven't had that experience to hear you think about it in that way that in that moment, it's a moment of finding strength is really powerful. And something that I noticed my own medical training was that often it's really hard for the patient. It's really, really hard for the people around the patient as well, because they can't do anything. Mm -hmm. Whereas often for the patients, they feel as though, well, I can, I can do something. What was your transition from receiving the news to turning that into, well, what am I going to do? What, what was that journey for you? So I left that meeting feeling all of those emotions. And I remember going to work on the first day of my chemotherapy. And I wore a pink jacket. And I remember going into a particular meeting and thinking, apart from my colleague Shopee, who was next to me, none of, you, none of you have got a clue what I'm about to do this afternoon. And I didn't want at that point my cancer treatment to be the defining 
factor of what I was going to be like. And so work was really important to me to try and do that for as long as possible. And I remember leaving the office and there were tears, but my colleagues had put amazing gifts on my desk. My friend Kat had written me the most beautiful poem. And so I left that going, I'm not alone. I've actually got the strength of all of my colleagues, my family, my friends, my my husband and my mum came with me to my first chemotherapy appointment. And from there onwards, I don't think a week went by where I didn't receive something lovely in the post, a well thought out gift that helped me to deal with some of the side effects I was experiencing. But really, it boosted my emotional well being in that I felt so loved and so cared for. And that even though I was going through this process, everyone had my back and they were there on the sidelines cheering me on to get through it. I mean, my sister worked a a really intense job and she traveled up from London every weekend to be with me. And so I took their kindness that I received and it is quite literally the kindness that I received from my family and friends that inspires Little Lifts today. Without their support, I wouldn't have thought when I couldn't sleep because of all of the steroids that I was on, I wouldn't have thought about that chemotherapy planning meeting. I kept revisiting that chemotherapy planning meeting throughout my chemo. And I thought, right, I want other women and men who are sat there listening to an endless list of side effects to receive something at the end of that appointment. And I want it to be a beautiful gift. And I want it to be full of carefully thought out curated items with lovely luxury products in there that will help prepare them for chemo, but remind them that they're not alone in this and that we are here showing them love, showing them kindness. And so that was what happened. I just Googled how to set up a charity and here we are. Here we are today. I'm always fascinated by this moment in the story where people talk about this is when I did a thing. This is when I made a decision. When was it that you knew that's what you wanted to do? Remember, when was it that you went, I want to start a charity? I have no idea how or when, but that's what I want to do. So during my cancer treatment, my grandparents bought me a notebook and on the front it said, notes belonging to a genius. That's what the, that's what the front of the notebook said. And I took that notebook and I filled it with ideas, names. I even designed the website in there. I mean, it gave me so much purpose during my cancer treatment. And then I started sort of airing these ideas and my family and my friends were like, yep, that sounds, that sounds brilliant. You've got, to, you've got a lot going on at the moment. You've got to get better, da, 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 all of those things. But I did my research during my cancer treatment. So I had, I ended up being signed off work, I was halfway through chemotherapy. I went on to have surgery, radiotherapy. So that I used a lot of that time to really reflect and think about what it is I wanted to do. And then with a huge dose of naivety, I thankfully, I Googled how to set up a charity. And then from there, just followed what it was we needed to do. And It was in 2016, my 30th, so I turned 30 that year, 
that's when I was like, I'm going to make this happen now. This is going to happen. And my first box is going to launch at the end of 2017. And so from turning 30, I was like, right, we're going to do it. Let's do it. And we did. That's interesting. There's a type of unlock moment that is, I call it time is ticking. And it's about ages or birthdays, particularly birthdays with a zero at the end. And so many Mm. people go, whatever my context, this is a moment when something shifts. I would start doing something. I've got 10 years ahead of me. And what do I want to achieve in that 10 year period? For you, what was it about turning 30 that gave you that, that power to, to go after something? Well, seeing as we're being honest, aren't we, on this podcast, when I was first diagnosed, I wasn't sure if I was even going to get to 30. So the anxiety of, yeah, of, of dying did appear quite a lot throughout my treatment and for a few months afterwards as well. And so I thought I've been saying that I want to do this. I've got this idea. I've shared it with other people. I've met with my oncologist. She thinks it's a good idea. I've got this endorsement to do it. And I felt that in my, yeah, 30, I was 28 when I was diagnosed, just under two years afterwards, I felt that I was in a good place mentally, physically to be able to start the charity and and use it in a way that really supported my recovery. So I have so much to thank to Little Lifts for my own recovery and my own mental well-being. Don't get me wrong, there are, st- <laughs> there are stressful days and there are days where it's a real challenge, but Little Lifts has been so fundamental to my own recovery. And everybody will experience a cancer diagnosis and treatment completely differently. But for me... Turning a really rubbish, awful situation into something positive has been really important and beneficial to me. Thank you for sharing. So honestly, that's, it's, it's difficult to, to talk about dying. You remind me of an early episode in the Unlock Moment with somebody called Hayley Thomas, who used to work with me years ago in retail. And her husband was diagnosed with cancer at the age of 40. She described her unlock moment as going from, I feel like there's always time in the future to do this thing I want to do, which in her case was starting up an online fashion brand. And when he was diagnosed, they sat down together and they went, well, maybe there's not always time. Mm. And it's actually that same thought of, well, if time is limited, we either never do it or we do it now. Mm-hmm. And they founded their business called Love and Loves, which is an online you know, women's wear brand, amazing. Um, and they did it in the middle of his chemotherapy. And it, they were like, it's the worst time to start up a business. But at the same <laughs> yeah. time, the time is now and we've chosen, you know. So, so I, I love that hearing the, the reflection in, in what you're saying too. From I'm going to register it to yeah. it's going to be a thing. What was that journey? So I knew that from my research that I wanted Little Lifts to be registered as a CIO. So a charitable incorporated organization. So I needed trustees. So I was like, right, who do I know in my network that's good at marketing, good at strategy, good at finance, good at legal stuff, good at fundraising. So kind of handpicked my my friends, not family, friends. We all had our first meeting in my garden. I'll never forget because Karen bought her dog who was a little bit naughty. 
And we just sat around this table and we were like, right, we've got to raise £5,000. How are we going to do it? Because you can't open, you can't register, you can't open a bank account. Everything's a bit chicken and egg sometimes in these things. And so I decided, right, I want to host an afternoon tea party in my garden. I'm just going to invite everyone we know. And so friends and family baked cakes. We had live music. We had a raffle. We had everything we needed. And of course, great British weather absolutely chucked it down. So it was a soggy affair. But we raised the money. We opened the bank account. And then we were like, right, we need serious business now. So we developed a business plan. We developed a strategy. We opened our black book. Who do we know? And I went to people with an empty box and said, you see this brown box? This isn't actually going to be the Little Lifts box because my Little Lifts box is going to look like this. But I need money to be able to get the Little Lifts box produced and also to fill it with all of these products that I've researched because we held focus groups with women with breast cancer because I... I never wanted it to be about my own experience because people will have had other side effects, other mental health challenges. And so we held lots of focus groups and we just had the belief from some really incredible people and businesses who still support us today, who took the time out to listen to me about my experience of having breast cancer, what I wanted this little brown box to be and what started off as just raising in our first year £20,000. That's all we needed to raise. We now raise just under half a million to be able to support our work. So we've gone from a kitchen table charity to now working with 10 NHS hospital partnerships across the east of England, as well as setting up a kindness fund, which means our boxes now whiz all over the country and alongside that, an online shop and our boxes have whizzed around the world, all providing some kindness and love to people with breast cancer. So I think having the kind of grit, the naivety, the can-do attitude is what really put us in a strong place. And the relentless not giving up on this, I'm just going to keep any, anyone that listens to me, I want to share this vision with them and our little lifts community is the best and i love it and i'm so proud of it amazing and bring to life what's in a box so this isn't this is not a box of chocolates this is something very targeted to the needs of the people you're giving the boxes to yeah so we have two boxes we have a chemotherapy box that is our biggest box and that contains a selection of items to help with things such as loss of taste so we have chili oil mixed herbs we have products in there to help with sensitive skin. We have products in there to encourage hydration, such as cordial. We've got products in there to aid relaxation, such as a heated eye mask. We have a notebook in there to encourage journaling, crosswords and puzzles to help pass the time, herbal tea. I mean, it really is a beautiful curated box. And our radiotherapy box is smaller, but that contains products in there that women need to use during radiotherapy so if they are to use deodorant it needs to be metal free so we have a metal free deodorant in there we have products to aid rest and relaxation such as candles again heated eye masks all of the boxes do have the best organic chocolate in there but we are also really passionate about being kind to the planet whilst we source these products so we like to work with smaller businesses that share a similar ethos to us 
if possible, local to Norfolk, east of England, if not UK made. So we currently work with some people, one women bands on Etsy and our heat packs are handmade. And then they can be put in the microwave or the freezer to help with supporting painful joints or they can go in the freezer to help with hot flushes. Probably could all do with one today, couldn't we? Because it's boiling. Uh, and we work with suppliers that are kind to the planet, ethically made, ethically sourced. The products can be reused. So none of it is brand led. It is all patient led. We are committed to hosting focus groups throughout the year. We've got one next week, in fact, in Ipswich. And those focus groups enable us to understand people's experience of breast cancer and ultimately they help guide our strategy of where we need to go. So an example of that is in October, we are launching a new box, which is a surgery box. And that is being piloted at one of our hospital partnerships. So we will be producing 600 boxes. And that's to support patients that are having mastectomies or lumpectomies following a breast cancer diagnosis and they're having surgery. But that box has purely come about because of feedback that we've received from breast cancer patients. So our charity is guided by what breast cancer patients are telling us that they want and they need. That's amazing. And tell me about the moment when a patient receives a little lifts box. Where are they in the journey when they receive it? And, and, and what's the feedback you're getting from patients? Yeah, so there's, there's now two ways patients can receive boxes. So the first way is directly at their hospital. So we work with 10 hospitals at the moment in the east of England, and we deliver those boxes directly to the hospitals. And then during the treatment planning or review meeting, a oncologist or a nurse will end the meeting and give that box to the patient. So they don't know that this box is coming, but they will receive their little lifts box at the hospital. Elsewhere, we have what's called the Little Kindness Fund. That was set up in response to the pandemic. And what that means is that Anybody who's going through chemotherapy or radiotherapy treatment can go onto our website and apply for a box free of charge. So the difference is someone going onto our website is actively seeking our support, whereas someone at a hospital doesn't necessarily know that they will be receiving our support. But our mission is to get as many boxes out to people undergoing chemo or radiotherapy treatment. And so the kindness fund was our response to again, what people were telling us across the country during COVID. Now, it's the feedback that we have received that has been fundamental to the growth of Little Lifts because a day doesn't go by where we don't receive posts, emails, messages on social media where women and a very small number of men now get in touch to tell us that their Little Lifts box made them feel supported. It made them feel cared for. It made them feel prepared. We've provided them with essential items during a cost of living crisis. We've done their shopping for them because they now have everything that they need. But they also feel not alone and that someone else or other people going through this situation get, get it. They understand what that person is facing in that moment. And it's just really lovely to know that our Little Lifts boxes are now whizzing all over the country, thanks to Royal Mail and DHL. 
And they're also being given out to patients across our hospitals. And that the small acts of kindness make such a big impact on someone who's going through a really stressful and uncertain time. And that's what motivates us and the team every day. And tell me a bit about the team that you have behind the little lift boxes. Oh, I've got such a wonderful team. Have a fantastic team. So we're small. We we have a little office in Bowthorpe, just outside Norwich. And I have an incredible ops team, which is led by Lizzie. Uh, Kay's currently on mat leave. And she works with George, Hannah and Franny. And they are responsible for overseeing everything to do with our boxes. So we call them the box gurus. So they are busy reviewing kindness fund applications, liaising with hospitals, getting them out. And then I have a fantastic marketing brand whiz called Anya. So she's the reason that our social media has really gained some fantastic traction. And she does a lot of community engagement, liaising with people online. And I have fantastic fundraising support in Cat and Shopee who between the three of us, we don't even contribute 35 hours a week to fundraising because we don't all work part-time. And I just think that our fundraising ability and efficiency is something to be incredibly proud of. And I really am proud of the fundraising work that we do. And then we have lots of other people giving up their time for free or just dipping in and out that help us with HR and finance and SEO and website. It's just an amazing group of people that could contribute to a cause that we all passionately believe in. Fantastic. And what help do you need? Well, charities always need funding. So we are a charity that is growing. And so our fundraising income is, is just under half a million. And that will allow us to support this year. We're on target to distribute over 7,000 boxes. So next year, we would like to send out more boxes. But without the funding, we can't do that. Just spread awareness about what it is that we do. Help spread kindness. Help spread awareness about the signs and symptoms of breast cancer. Because people don't, don't know how to check. People don't know the signs and symptoms of breast cancer. It is the most common cancer in the UK. So it's important to be breast aware. But yeah, just find out more about what it is that we do on our website or social media. Fantastic. And how can people find out more about you and the work you do? So our website is littlelifts.org.uk. And then we're also on Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn. And we have a variety of different ways that individuals and businesses can get involved. We always love hearing from people. If anyone has any ideas or suggestions, or if there's anyone listening that has gone through breast cancer treatment that wants to share an idea, we love hearing from people. And also, we have an online shop. So people can buy some of our boxes and our products and each sale that we make enables us to support more people affected by breast cancer. Fantastic. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. For breast cancer survivor and founder of the charity Little Lifts, 
Oa Hackett, it was knowing the importance of those little lifts in her own treatment that inspired her on a mission to provide a box of special things for every patient going through the same journey, now 13,000 boxes in and well on the way to reaching every patient in the UK. I know she's a very humble person, but I have to say I think Oa is one of the most remarkable guests I've ever had the privilege to interview on this podcast. And I know you, my listener, will have found this conversation both memorable and powerful. Please do visit the website littlelifts.org.uk and think about how you can support with money or with introductions to help them grow their reach. Oh, it's been such a privilege. Thank you so much for telling your story and for joining me today on the Unlock Moment. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. This has been the Unlock Moment, a podcast with me, Dr. Gary Crotez. Thank you for listening in. You can find out more about how to figure out what you want and how to get it in my book, The Idea Mindset. Find me on Instagram at Dr. Gary Crotez and subscribe to this podcast to get notified about future episodes. Most listeners to this podcast on Apple and Spotify haven't yet hit the follow button. If there's one thing you can do right now to help me out, then please click the follow button. The more followers I have, the better guests I can attract for you to learn from. Thanks again for listening and join me again soon here on The Unlock Moment.